In a contemporary culture where we are increasingly isolated and divided from our fellow humans, many people have been led astray from a healthy path of growth and inspiration and fallen into painful symptoms of depression, loneliness, and disillusionment. There is a growing board of community where we can have honest conversations about complex topics. We need to create spaces for the free thinkers, the outliers, and those seeking to further the ideals of the Enlightenment. As two eccentric artists with first-hand experience of surviving mental and social traumas, we share an unrelenting passion for understanding the human condition and continuing the process of navigating it today. This is why I, Laura Becker, an artist and writer from the United States, and me, Vincent Deboni, psychology graduate, have come together across continents, generations, cultures, and life experiences to have these nuanced conversations. We hope you will join us on this journey across the mind on Trans Psyche. I'm really excited for today because we're finally recording and you and I love to talk to each other, but we're finally actually recording the very first episode of Trans Psyche. And so first of all, we want to just get into what does Trans Psyche actually mean? So Mm. our kind of thesis and tagline, which I think is pretty cool, I came up with it, um, (laughs) for the project is journeying across the mind which if you break it down that is what trans psyche means so psyche means mind it can also kind of mean soul so it's sort of abstract but i take it to more mean mind um almost a spiritual mind and then trans means to cross over so you're kind of it's transcending something else so journeying Mm. across And so I thought that would be really optimal for this project because that is in so many myriad of ways, that's what we're trying to accomplish is crossing boundaries, crossing uh, borders. For example, you and I are in two very different countries. We're actually on opposite sides of the world and different time zones. I am in the United States and you are in South Africa. And those are vastly different cultures. So in one major way, we're transcending across uh, time and culture and history and politics in, in those ways. But another is generational. So this is a transgenerational endeavor as well, which is really fascinating because we are... You are twice as old as I am, exactly. I am 24, and you are 48. 48. So I think that's extremely fascinating. So you have twice as much uh, lived experience as I have. And so I think, not to jump into too many things at once, but first of all, are there any thoughts that you have about the journeying, the trans, the psyche? Because I said, you know, we're Mm. transcending cultures generations, age, time, but we're also, importantly, trying to cross over our blind spots, so to speak, Mm. in the mind. So we want to discover where the boundaries are. Are those boundaries of psychology and our relationships and our Mm. careers and political issues and our communities? Where are the lines? What Mm. And crossing over the lines, 
stepping over them to discover what's on the other side and trying to integrate that into a more cohesive and holistic psychological understanding. Is that fair to say? Is that what you also think mm. of when you hear trans psyche? Yeah. So, so just, just so everyone uh, knows that what we did here was very much a, I kept using the word simpatico because that's the uh, Italian uh, version of um, being in, in synchronicity with each other. And it, it is quite incredible that you and I have this simpatico going when we are totally different generations, different cultures. I mean, you know, to be fair, the, the, the Western, broadly speaking, culture, we share that. Mm. But, but beyond that, we don't really share a, a hell of a lot more than that. But it just shows, and I think I think that's why we were keen to do this, was to show people, um, or at least people listening, that there is, as you just said, there's all these other elements that come into the human experience and the human journey, you know. And I think... I think one of the things that you and I share is this passion for the journey, you know, that that it's not, um, life isn't about a specific outcome, that you don't have to be at a certain marker at 21 and then again at 25 and then again at, you know, I'm about to turn 50 in two years' time mm. and people have all these preconceived ideas of where you're supposed to be, what you should be doing, you know. Uh, and I want to show, well, I, it's, it's not really, it's, I suppose there's a little bit of modeling that we're doing. Um, but Could you I explain what modeling is? Yeah, I want people to understand what I, exactly what I mean by that is not, I want to model the process. I'm not saying that, that, you, that people listening should be like us, like either of us. That's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, what, what I think both of us want to share is the journey. Uh, and, you know, we, as you were saying before we started recording that we've got our own material, we've got our art, both of us are artists. I had a business, I had a restaurant um, for, for many years. Um, you're, you're into art, you're studying art, you're, you're going to be an art teacher hopefully soon. Um, we both write a lot, we've mm -hmm. published our own stuff. We've had sort of, both of us have had varying levels of, of acknowledgement of those abilities. So... It's more about representing to people what can be done even when you're in these, um, you know, sort of stuck phases. You know, we spoke about that once before, you know, assuming that you're stuck, but you're, you're mm -hmm. actually that, that stuck mindset you've imposed on yourself. You know, we all yes. do it. It's, it's, not, it's not that you and I have, have suddenly um, seen through the clouds and, you know, we understand everything, uh, but... I think it's important that we share the journey. That's the Well, I think part of it is we need to again, when I was talking about boundaries, I guess that's a little abstract, but I suppose when I say boundaries, I mean like what is beyond what we know. You know, we all have our realities and our day-to-day -day, um I guess like information and stimulus and media and all of these experiences that we consume, but we have to be able to see beyond that. We have to see a, a greater picture, a larger scope. We have to look up at the clouds and sky to, to even be able to see them in the first place. We can't, if we keep mm. our heads to the ground and keep our heads to ourselves, heads down and 
we feel like we're stuck, but even just physically, this is a psychological thing, even just physically standing up taller and kind of extending your arms out and kind of embracing, mm-hmm. you do feel freer versus if your certain body language is, you know, tight and curled mm-hmm. up in a ball, especially um, mm-hmm. people that do a lot of um, kind of uh, cocooning, right? I do that a lot. Mm-hmm cocooning is when you kind of curl up in the the fetal position in your bed and just cover yourself with a blanket and your world becomes so small and on one hand that that feeling of smallness is like a protective measure it's for safety and security in reality though it's kind of a short time short-term survival strategy Mm -hmm. so like this is what i always like to say laura get your ass out of bed and just go outside <laughs> and look up out the outside because when I'm in my bed, it is a small world. And mm. that's just what I wanted to talk about so much is a lot of this material we're going to be discussing is about digital culture and the digital contemporary age because we have a lot of these people that are cocooning. And even if they're not literally just cocooned in their bed, they're sequestering themselves in smaller and smaller areas um so they're stuck in their house and maybe they only go to work and their house you know it's very limited but they make up for it by having the internet which is this portal to Mm. anything and everything all of the time which this is what we want to discuss because it's a way to integrate kind of well how would you say it vincent integrating the digital culture with Mm. our shared humanity as kind of the species. Um, mm. is well, that- it is interesting. Yeah, can I, can I pick you up there? Yes. Um, that you, you know, you were talking about, um, this is what I love about our chats, is that we, you know, we come at it, we're coming at the same essence from different perspectives. And, and that's what I think, I, I think is interesting. Um, when you should, talk about sorry, cocooning... Sorry, Vincent, should, should, should we give a introduction into kind of who we are right now. And because I think it's important to mention right now that you are actually studying um, psychology. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. So, um, so I'm, was an entrepreneur for 21 years. I had my own business in South Africa, which was a restaurant that did very well and it was very satisfying. Um, of course, for all the reasons everyone knows during lockdown, my business closed. But I had started studying psychology in 2018 already. So I had planned to be a psychologist in my 50s, basically. So I planned to do a completely different career. And I had come into it because I realized there were certain things that there's abilities that I have that were I was trying to apply um, in the restaurant environment, which didn't work so well. Uh, you can only help, help so many people by employing them and by giving them skills and all that kind of thing. And I just realized that to, to find a congruence between my lifestyle and my goals, me being a counselor or a therapist would have been a much better um, second half of my life. So a huge impact on my life was Jungian um, psychology and specifically James Hollis, the way he talks about the journey and the archetypes that, that we that we are either drawn to or not drawn to and all these other things. So not that I want to get into that specifically, but just for everyone to understand that I've, I've got the, the training in psychology, um, a bachelor of psychology that gives me the, the, 
let's say the academic uh, language that is going to be about the stuff we're talking about, you know, and then uh, Laura, you've got your own experiences. Well, right. I um, am finishing up my uh, bachelor of arts in studio art and community art. So I'm multidisciplinary, not sure exactly what I'm going to do with that. So I haven't formally studied psychology. I mean, I have taken a few courses and of course my kind of out of school real life training, um, which would be my lived experience. And this is what I want to kind of um, introduce because we, the, the, one of the biggest reasons we wanted to do this um, project was because we believe that we can, we are living demonstrations like day to day of this journey. You know, it's an abstract thing, but we are living it day to day and we are mm. in two very different positions in life right now. Mm. So me, I am 24. I, uh, my background is one with a lot of mental health struggles and some trauma and um, a lot of different adversities. And that has shaped and sculpted my life immensely. And so this is where I'm coming. I am sort of, I am right in the midst of it, right? Like I am going through the hell, you could say. Like I'm going through hell and I need to keep going. So that's where I am. Personally, I am learning new things day to day, processing past trauma, understanding these psychological concepts and becoming an adult, learning how to have adult relationships and understandings of maturity um, versus Vincent, you have twice as much experience with this. So you have already overcome much of that in your life. And you also have a background with adverse childhood experiences and mental health struggles and traumas. So it's a really interesting juxtaposition because you, even though we are very different people and at different stages in our lives, you understand where I'm coming from exactly, or very close to exactly, because you have been through all this already and are now looking back retrospectively. And I look and see you having overcome these things and where you're at in your life right now, ready to actually become a... Are you going to become a therapist, um, a, a counselor, or are you going to become a psychologist? Yeah, I, I think ultimately I'll become a psychologist. Um, I'll be a counselor first, and then the next qualification is um, a full-on psychologist, depending on specializing in a specific area. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure how that's going to go because um, I find a lot of – I'm finding a lot of – what's the word – waypoints are sort of showing me in slightly different directions. So I'm, I might just uh, be more of a psychoeducational um, advocate hmm. rather than a, a specifically uh, a specific type of counsellor or psychologist. But I do think I want to counsel people directly. So um, I think, like, I just, just to go back on stuff that you were saying now, um, I think what's important here is that you know, you said you're in the thick of it. And uh, again, the, it's not to say that I'm not in the thick of anything. Uh, the last two years of, of COVID and lockdown and losing my business, and 
I did spend a year and a half trying to save my business, which was very stressful. Um, I've, I also joined a college when I started studying in 2018. I joined a college I was, you know, old enough to be everybody's uh, father. <laughs> um, so my, my cohorts are much younger than me, and some of the lecturers are much younger than me. So there was a massive shift in um, in my circumstances, but again, it'll, and I'll tie it back to what we were saying earlier, that this idea of cocooning rather than, um, I would say, sometimes knowing when to regress a little bit because you've, you've realized you've gone a little bit too far down the wrong path, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, so the process of regressing is, is something that you need to learn. Um, it takes a little bit of, you sometimes have to take time out. And I, th- I think this is where the art helps you and me, you know, that we can do the art and there's a version of ourselves that we see in each piece of art. And sometimes that art speaks back to you and mm-hmm. it tells you something, you know, as much as art speaks to other people. Our art speaks to us as well. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I, probably my biggest reason for doing art is myself. When I look at my art, <laughs> it's definitely is, my own reason yeah, as well, Vincent. <laughs> yeah. But but you know, Laura, that shows a, a level of uh, uh, let's say personality development that we are maybe we've earned, but I think also we've been blessed with for whatever reasons, you know. Um, that allows us that perspective, you know, and, and then you can sit in a, in a podcast with someone in South Africa who's twice your age and we can agree that uh, you're in the thick of it, you know, but, but we all are. Right. Because right? You know, it we're, we're, is the human condition, which it is, is life. Exactly. Condi- yeah, I agree. I think that largely what we want to do this is because we ourselves get, I guess, inspiration and understanding about ourselves and humanity through speaking to each other. And we get it in different ways, but that's why they say that, you know, in order to teach, you have to learn. And in order to learn, you have to teach. So even though I'm younger Mm. and I'm, you know, say I'm more of a apprentice of life right now, and you could be seen as more of a mentor figure to me, but also to the other students that you're working with. But you are also an apprentice as well because you're also a student. We're both in college right now. And as well as I am not just learning from you, I'm also teaching as I also want to perhaps go into teaching or some kind of realm of education. So both of us, at first glance, we seem extremely uh, polar opposite. But really, we both have these intrinsic drives to create. So we're both visual artists as well as writers. And Mm. we're both thinkers and kind of free thinkers and critical thinkers. And we also share this drive to help this kind of, um, I wouldn't say exactly altruism, but we have experiences and we just, we need to share our understanding. As you told me, like when you owned your restaurant, girls or women would come in and just start talking to um, other women about their problems, but you just overheard it and you just couldn't help but just give your, you know, kind of advice Mm -hmm. as well. And that's how I feel too. (laughs) Um, And that just might be a personality thing. Um, But I know I don't think you really believe in the (laughs) Myers-Briggs too much, but technically my personality type 
is INFJ, which is known as the counselor or advocate. And yeah. um, I do agree with that. Um, so we have, we share these drives to share ourselves, basically, because in sharing ourselves, we realize that that's how we learn about the world. And so I think when you talk about modeling, um, this kind of, this podcast is sort of a scenario, it's a situational, um, almost demonstration of not only having these types of free form, um, good faith conversations and dialogues, but it's also a modeling of, um, a therapeutic process. Now, not a direct therapeutic process between client and clinician, but a therapeutic process between, um, I suppose, mentor and mentee in a way, but it's kind of a bridge between that and a therapeutic understanding because although it's not therapy, it is therapeutic in that we are bringing forth um, like psychological literature, psychological concepts and understanding, but applying them in a non-theoretical way, applying them in a tangible way. And that's what I really want to emphasize is that we're not trying to instruct anyone on how to go about this journey, but we're giving Mm. examples of things that we have done that have worked as well as things that we've done that have not worked and speaking about in real time and analyzing and reflecting in an earnest way, what we are currently going through and how that is, um, changing day to day, shifting day to day. I feel like I go through a different state of consciousness every single day. So that's what I'm talking about. Expanding the mind, journeying through it. Um, The piece of music that we utilized for our uh, podcast theme is a song that I wrote called In the Jungle, Namaste, which is literally Mm. like, I feel like I am in the jungle. The jungle is, you know, We've gotten so far away from the original sort of jungle, you know, because um, we don't live in jungles anymore, but we still do. And our brains, we still do because our brains still react in that animalistic way. It still reacts in that primordial way. So we are exactly, actually yeah. in the jungle. Um, and I want to say that the internet and digital world is an untamed jungle. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, deadly out there and it's uncharted territory. So, mm. um, that's kind of how I view what we're doing. Vincent, would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I do. I, I totally agree with that. Um, the, the sort of language I'd use just to go back to what you said about the Myers-Briggs. Um, so you obviously saw my tweet the other day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I said, so, so this, this is the, the, the tricky part of what I'm doing with the, let's say, the podcast and my WordPress page is there's a there's a line that I sort of straddle of being the the student psychologist, um, the counselor that I that I might be um, next year, and the uh, the person who's experiencing these things, you know, the person that has let's say the empirical uh, experiences of uh, living these different um, realities, let's say. And what I wanted to point out with the Myers-Briggs is that in, in psychometric 
the research of psychology, the Myers-Briggs has been um, proven to be not very useful, all right? Mm -hmm. But there's another realm, <laughs> as there is with everything, right? The other realm is if you need, let's say if you need a mirror, okay, you don't go stare at um, your, your grand's aluminium pot that she uses to make soup with. You know, you go and you find the thing that everyone says you can use to look back at yourself, mm -hmm. which is a mirror in the bathroom. And you go to the bathroom and you look in the mirror and there's a mirror and there you are. And, and you can analyze yourself at least aesthetically. The Myers-Briggs provides that as a, as a, I'd say actually quite a good uh, reflection of who you are now. That's the key. So mm -hmm. when I said the Myers-Briggs is not, um, as well, I, my language is more colorful, but um, that was taken from uh, other studies that have shown that in, in sort of psychometric research, it's not very useful. Because, it, because, being, because it changes over time. Because, because people change, exactly. Although I'll say so, I've never gotten anything besides INFJ. Well, I've taken it many times. You, when you take it, if you take it when you're 35, no, I suspect it'll change. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, exactly. You see, that's what I'm saying. So when I say that it's not useful, it's not useful to basically if the person doing the test, which is, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a psychometrician and they are, they will make all sorts of recommendations based on that test. But even they are told that they must be, they must remind the, the clients, you know, sometimes the client will be your employer that it's only a snapshot of, of things in time. So then the other thing I think you and I are doing is, I'm, I'm sure you've seen, um, what's his name, An Angel Eduardo's uh, article on Star Manning, where mm. you, you talk to people, well, he says you sh we should talk to people um, assuming the best intentions. And I know that that doesn't always work when, you've, when you're talking to people that are ideologically possessed, like mm. we, we see a lot of nowadays. Um, but... Uh, not superficially, but in principle, I accept his his um, theory because um, or his approach because it's more helpful than 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 the alternative. You know, um, what he says is if you meet someone who is at least exhibiting basic, you know, civil discourse, then you can star man them. So when I speak to you, I assume that all you want to do is have an interesting conversation and live a better life. Mm -hmm. let's say okay um which i think is, is good to assume of all humans unless i mean as I say deeper down i think that's what they do want but people get kind of hung up on certain planes so they think that yeah that's what they yeah. ultimately want um well that's why that uh there's so many things you brought up that i want to go over i think yeah the but, main... but let me let me finish let me the, the last okay. point i want to make is that if you if you're speaking to someone who is, and this is the problem that I think is happening with the internet. So even though the internet itself is wonderful, we are adrift in the internet. You know, mm -hmm. there's, there's all these social media platforms that, that sort of pretend to be um, mediating and moderating the, 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 the interactions. Um, but ultimately it's up to some of us to get together and, and model this, the star manning, um, the, the civil discourse that would allow uh, real ideas to be to be created, and 
and to, to, for other people to hear how people can get along and, and have a conversation, even though they're so different, which is, which is what you and I are doing. Well, I mean, the thing about social media is that the platforms curate your feeds according to the algorithms, as well as they also censor you, um, which I think is not conducive to, you know, mm. a free society. I think one of the issues that we're both quite interested in is free speech, because in order to learn and grow and share ideas and find optimal solutions for things, we need to be able to speak freely about it. Um, but it's also important of how you speak. So people these days are very mm. emotionally reactive, myself included. I'm a very um, emotionally intense person. And so it's difficult to kind of temper that uh, reaction. And so mm. we need to make sure that we're not only having free discussion, but we're also listening. Like we have to be able to say what we need to say, but also listen mm. as well as speak with integrity and speak with um, humility and curiosity mm. because um, just to speak, you know, and kind of go in a diatribe about something that you sure you're correct on is one thing, you know, but um, how you approach another person, if you don't have that good faith, um, if you don't, if you're not earnest with them, like lying and deception and, mm. I exactly. think there's this big concept that I've been thinking about lately, which is the idea that sometimes kindness, what people think of as kindness, is not actually kind. The truth is not always pleasant. Uh, the truth is not always kind. But the truth is kinder in the long term. So telling someone a lie or kind of indulging them or enabling them in some way is not actually yeah. kindness. It's um, sort of... Um, a bit of cowardice, a bit of laziness, and a bit of, um, yeah, I say cowardness because you don't want to actually engage with the truth. And that's what I think we both are seeking. We are seeking the truth. And there isn't just one truth, but there are certain ways to finding something that works um, repeatedly. So I guess... Um, what I'm interested in is finding ways, finding paths, finding um, paths to take for these journeys that will lead us to what we are seeking. And we're really all seeking the same thing. So there's many different roads to get to where we all want to be. But I think people get caught up in certain um, diagnostic labels as well and so like i said you said with the infj with the myers-briggs thing it is a useful tool it's a stepping stone so you know i am actually in an infj group on facebook do i take it as the gospel truth you know every single post i see am i like this is exactly me and if i don't fit in with this then i'm not really you know this or that no i i take it you know, with a grain of salt, I, I enjoy parts of it, but I also see how parts of it are limiting. And so these, um, and um, something that a lot of clinicians, and I think in therapy, this is a huge topic right now is, um, you know, diagnoses and how people are self-diagnosing and over-diagnosing and over-medicalization of everything um, mm. to treat situational problems. Um, I'm not going to get 
in depth right now, but part of my background is I have a lot of diagnoses and I have been medicalized a lot. I had experiences um, with basically symptoms of the human condition are being clustered and rightfully so they're being clustered and kind of labeled and organized but they're being overly confined so i was experiencing symptoms of um depression and anxiety and social issues and relationship problems and self-hate issues that were all manifesting as dysphoria this was then labeled as gender dysphoria which was then medicalized in a transition and I had a medical mm. transition and I ended up detransitioning because my problems were actually uh, more related um, to, you know, the human condition than this gender concept. But people are getting stuck and hung up on just one um, criteria as well. Not only just, um, you know, diagnostic labels, um, but also uh, group labels, uh, tribal labels, political labels. So at this point, um, I think it's fair to say, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about how we're kind of politically homeless in a way, because, um, you know, in my past, I used to be very, uh, very leftist, very liberal, very, you know, I must, you know, I, I look down on anyone who voted third party. I, you know, was very much one of those types of people. Now I'm so skeptical of everything that I, I don't know exactly what to call myself. I just call myself everything critical because I just, I have to take everything with the nuance and just look at what actually seems to be healthiest overall instead of looking at ideology. I think a lot of people get hung up because humans naturally try to shorthand things in their minds. Mm. That's what stereotypes are. And there's all this discussion yeah. about, you know, how stereotypes are bad and labeling and categorization and discrimination. Actually, all of those things are healthy and useful. Um, mm. It's when they're taking to an extreme. So when people talk about things like discrimination, um, it's actually good to discriminate. You have to discriminate between, you know, what's poison and what's like clean drinking water. Like discrimination yeah. is not inherently wrong. But we've kind of come full circle in the way that, you know, there is no nuance to anything. So I think people are getting mm. hung up. And again, that's what I want to come back to the whole, you know, trans across, you know, just crossing over that. Like, okay, I see the rock. It's a huge wall. It's not just a rock. It's actually a huge wall. I have to climb this rocky wall to get over. And if I stopped mm. at the wall, you know, that would seem like that's my boundary. That's my barrier. You know, I guess I'll just live in this space and that's what seems right. You know, it is this big, tall wall that was built up for a reason. They actually climb yeah. over it or start tunneling under it. That's the real pain in the ass <laughs> when you're tunneling <laughs> right under it. Yeah, with a spoon, basically. That's what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> you know, um, but there is something else beyond that. So I think, yeah, yeah um, do you have thoughts it's about interesting. that? You 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 covered a couple of things there that I want to point out. You know, like we we've had similar epiphanies about what it means to be an individual as opposed to one of the collective. Um, when you you know you you broadly agree with the political agenda, so you join that 
um, tribe, you know, and for a while it feels good. It feels better until you start realizing uh, there's something, there's something that doesn't make sense to me or you start noticing the, um, well, you start noticing the lies. Okay. Let's, let's, Mm. there's lots of other things we could go into, but you, you, you mentioned it already, the um, insincerity. um, So, Again, you know, we can talk about this in another episode, but the, one of my big um, shifts in, in my, the way I approach my life, I suppose, was realizing that the South African experiment was a lie. Uh, the reason it's a failure as we speak um, is because it's a lie. It's not, it's not, um, it's, it's not a lie that is causing a failure. It's, it, it's, it's, the whole thing is a lie, so it's obviously failing, and that speaks to the the, the natural order of things, you know. So you 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 were saying it in a different way just now that the ultimately, if you if you buy into this um, consumerist society that that drives us to be consumers, you know, you you were you were guided uh, by the medical system into becoming a consumer, you know? So if you look at it, if you look around you, there's so much that, 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 and I would, I would say something similar about South Africa. The whole South African experiment was for the world bank to have another consumerist society on the, on the tip of Africa, which would have changed. They believe would have influenced the rest of Africa. And there was this, there were all these wonderful ideas that they were, people would be lifted out of poverty and they would just, everybody would just be Singapore. You know, mm. <laughs> or South Korea it would be South Korea, and Zimbabwe would be North Korea, and, mm. and the West would have its little another little gem in its crown yeah. to say, "Look how wonderful we are." You know, and this is my my um, frustration is that even though I I'm very grateful for everything um, Western, um, broadly speaking, Western civilization has given us, I am 100. percent On the other hand. The more recent Western history is lies. It's lies. It's um, and what they, and, and they, what what are those lies exactly? Do you think? Well, it's it's it, it's that. It's it, it, if I can boil it down, it's if you consume, you'll be happy. <laughs> and that but is consume, a lie. Consume what? You have to consume what other people are producing. So you have to become something that can channel profits. So. Mm. Uh, whether whether it's buying products that you don't need because you've been suckered into, you've seen that advert on Facebook a thousand times. So you go and you buy the, uh, I don't know, uh, the, the adverts on Facebook are so random, I can't even keep track anymore. <laughs> and that they're so, the algorithm's really messed up. I mean, I don't know what Zuckerberg does on weekends, but he should work on his algorithm because they advertise things to me that are so way off. Hmm. But anyway, it comes back to the same point that, if we detach, if you if you say to us, okay, it turns out you're actually human beings and your basic needs are first to have purpose which creates meaning. That's the, f- and I'm not the first one to say this. Obviously, lots of people have said this. Religions have said this. Um, psychologists have said this. Um, as we speak, I'm very proud of uh, a lot of people in my network are saying this on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, but so... But it's very hard to detach people from the, the teat of consumerism, you know. So you're saying in terms of like, if you want to go into Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah. you're saying that purpose 
would be lower on the the lit the pyramid? Well, no, I'm saying I'm saying purpose is right up at the top actually. Um then I'm, there's Well, because the basic needs are you would say more fundamental, right? Yeah. Well, you see, this does get messy. Yeah, we're we're going into the weeds here because if we so First of all, Maslow's uh, pyramid, you know, he never drew the pyramid, right? So, so we're, we're talking about hierarchy in a, in a, in a, um, a level of, of significance from the top down. So we're saying that mm-hmm. if, people get, if people have food and water, that covers their bottom, the bottom of the pyramid. And as they go up, we have things like purpose and meaning and, and autonomy, okay? Yeah. Which is, so what I'm saying is, that in my experience and from my observations and the research that I've had to do um, regarding South Africa, um, it actually, it all leads to that. If, if you're, even the poor guy who's, who's leaving a rural area in Africa, if his life doesn't have purpose and meaning, he doesn't care if he's eating. So to mm-hmm. say that what, what a lot of people say is, oh, well, they can't think about that stuff. I'm sorry, that's, that's, the bigotry of low expectations. Mm. You think that a guy that, that hasn't had a meal isn't thinking about how meaningless his life is. Right. That's ridiculous. Of course they think about it. They think about it every day, mm. you know? So I find I've been, I've been very sad to, to discover that the, all the well-meaning programs that we have in, um, you know, developing uh, uh, third world nations and in South Africa a lot, there's a, there's a lot of talk about development and, social capital and all these wonderful programs. But I think a lot of them still miss the fact that a guy doesn't actually have to be uh, on a career trajectory, you know, or, or he doesn't have access. He doesn't have to have access to a smartphone to have purpose and meaning because mm. what, what some very uh, sort of niche research has found is that even those guys, um, uh, and you know, Laura, that I'm, I'm sort of, focus a lot of my attention on the male problem, the rogue male problem, like we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so to say that the guy that's leaving a rural area who grew up, um, you know, looking after uh, cattle in on the mountains of Lesotho, let's just say, all right. Um, to say that the best thing for him is to move to the city, have a smartphone, um, sign a, um, a, a contract for a car and rent a townhouse is ridiculous because what we should be doing is finding ways for that guy to live his life the way he wants to live his life, you know? Mm-hmm. And anyway, the, the, why I'm using that as an example is um, when the more we, the more we don't recognize that dramatic example I just gave you, we don't recognize it amongst the, the two different people that walk into your counseling offices. If, if you're a counselor, you know, you've got one person who wants to live his best life and he's 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 got a job and he's and he's on the surface looks very successful but then other people um are, 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 they have they have outward signs of of dysfunction let's say you know so to, it seems obvious but actually like you said earlier we all want the same thing i i believe that you know like we were talking about earlier you know, the skeleton of the psyche let's say um to combine our two um uh themes that you're, there's no point addressing all these other things when you're not addressing those key things at the same time. So I think 
I think one of the things that you and I do in our conversations is we keep coming back to, yes, we'll talk about the struggles. We'll talk about the, the medication, the, the, the path I went down, for example, of, of being an employer and, um, you know, dabbling with this consumerist culture, because obviously I created products that other people paid a premium for. There was, there was capitalism involved in that. And I was the creator of, of products that people bought, right? Um, so as much as I do think that that whole process is essential for our economies to function and to create value, when you degrade the human being to just a consumer, that's when you have people basically, the way I put it is we get, we get consumed and there's nothing left afterwards. So when your soul gets consumed, and I'm, I, I'm only using that word very, the word soul very broadly here, but when you allow yourself to be consumed by the machine, then uh, there's nothing left, you know? And then when you come out the other end and there's nothing left, they have more products for you. Hmm. You know, here's an antidepressant, here's an antipsychotic, here's a sleeping tablet, here's, a, here's Viagra, here's, it's just it's one thing after the other. Mm-hmm. So that that do you, do you get what I mean, you know? Yeah, and I think a lot of this, um, it feels like a, there's voids, right? And to me, it seems like what's going on in contemporary culture is a lot of attachment voids, um, specifically. That's something that I mm. that is um, I've discovered Very actually aware of. the root of yeah. my my personal. Um, problems all can be traced back to to attachment problems so i don't want to hone in just on that but i want to expand it because we are going to this all is all tied to the philosophy of humanism and Mm. i'd like if you could describe a little bit of what what humanism what humanism is um because i think that is if we had to have a term to describe kind of everything that we're talking about, humanism mm. would be the humanist psychology kind of philosophy. That would be um, what yeah. it sort of boils down well, to. I'll give you. Let me give you the the official um, definition according to um, AmericanHumanist.org. Um, humanism is a progressive philosophy of life that, without theism or other supernatural beliefs affirms our ability and responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment that aspire to the greater good. Now, that's fantastically summarized, but I'll, I'll add my own spin to it, which is that you just acknowledge that ultimately, you, you know, we've spoken about this before, how you, you should be able to hold two ideas at the same time. The one is that, you are this wonderful, unique creation of nature that, that um, you know, this is, again, something when, when we talk about suicidal thoughts that, that I, I think is so important that every day, every one of your cells is at war all day long mm-hmm. while you're napping to keep you alive and to make sure that you wake up and you can see the sky the next day. Okay, so you can absorb that idea on the one hand. But that doesn't make you the center of the universe and that everything else must bow down to every one of your little neuroses, all right? <laughs> because ultimately, we are driven, whether we like it or not, you know, and, and um, if there's any psychologist listening, this is, um, 
uh, Daniel Kahneman talks about this, the, the, the second order thinking that, that he spoke about, which is on the one hand, we have our superficial responses. And on the second hand, we've got these secondary responses that, well, what are they? They're, they're really our, our innate drives and our, our, let's say our spiritual drives. And a lot of those things have to do with what will what will make the species survive. So it's so that's why I say you have to keep the two ideas at the same time. If you're going to be successful as a modern um, being that can that can fully utilize the wonders that the modern world has given us, you have to acknowledge that you're you're driven by evolutionary forces that want you to su- survive at all costs and want the species to survive at all costs. So that will affect a lot of the decisions we make. But on the other hand, none of that's going to happen if you're not looking after yourself. Mm-hmm. So so I think what happens in psychology sometimes, and definitely what happens in sort of popular culture, is that we're driven towards this, oh, you're just so unique. You're just so wonderful. Um, you must be the best idea of yourself. And look how we've come back to the Myers-Briggs. So now you go and you do a Myers-Briggs and you get the result and you go look i'm so unique i've got this this bizarre <laughs> intersection of of letters that makes me so unique you well know? vincent i have to say um, that on the enneagram i actually am type four the individualist <laughs> <laughs> the individualist look, artist romantic but both of us are and and yeah. and i think you know it's deceptive because here we are doing a podcast and and we did we did a couple of episodes with third factor um, so we are, we, I think that's one of the reasons we can, we can model something that we've got something to model is that we've acknowledged and recognized that we can and should pursue our own goals and our own desires, but within the framework of what works in our community, what works for, for, you know, I don't want to say the greater good because that sounds so it's too abstract. Um, magnanimous. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds magnanimous a little bit, but. But what I'm saying is the that collective, the shared, the collective, that's yeah. a much better word. Yeah. Yeah. Because ultimately, you know, and Young spoke about the unconscious collective, um, which, which I would uh, relate to basically evolutionary psychology, because what I would say is whether you like it or not, if you start behaving and performing in a certain, in a way that is not to the benefit of the collective uh, uh, unconscious or or the evolutionary drive of, of of the species, basically. Whether you're doing it at home alone or not, it doesn't matter because inside you, you've got this little engine that's going and it's saying you must be part of community. You must mm. share your genes. You must reproduce. You must all these other things, you know. So I'm not saying, so So obviously, you know, people don't know us. So, so I, I just want to clarify I actually don't have children and I don't intend to have children and my, my wife and I have agreed on this. So I'm not being literal. I'm not saying that we should be out there copulating. Okay? I mean, in one, sen- in one sense, I think there is a genetic drive. There, of course there is. But there I, is. I, would, so, I would say that people utilize this. I think it can go down to the cellular level where our a single cell organism has this instinct to copy itself and perform yeah. mitosis. Um, and I think it's, 
it's gone from here to there, you know, and from there to here, you know, like, yeah. and so we, we, we have now become these extremely complicated beings. So we still yes. have this drive to duplicate ourselves, but we have so many different avenues now, which is why I feel like creativity, not just in an artistic yes. sense, but creativity is, is the true drive <laughs> because like, why do we, I mean, yeah, we want to create meaning. We want to create another child. It's, we want to replicate our DNA, but we want to create art and we want to create um connection and we want to create so we want to create and that's the opposite of consumerism um which is why of course you know i'm a bit biased as a you know artist who you know views my whole personality and kind of soul as like a creative soul but it's like it goes back to the enneagram type four it's like okay so the type four person is perhaps the most artistic, the most individualistic, the most idealistic. But these are just shared human traits. And so what they actually tell you for advice for for type four people, um, who because they often suffer from neurosis and depression and a lot of emotional pain because they're so in tune with emotion, the biggest advice that they give is say, they say, you know, Try to find ways that you're actually similar to other people. Because, yeah, you are a unique, special person. And you do kind of flaunt that maybe more than most other people would. But at the end of the day, you still have a lot more in common with people than you do differently. And so that's what I'm trying to do now is realizing, like, okay, I am an individual. And I have my own autonomy. And I have special, unique things about me. Even go down to the cellular level. But I still share genetics with several other people, my family, (laughs) and I still, you know, share experiences with, you know, so many other people. And that's something that personally I've really struggled with because, as I've said, attachment has been my biggest struggle, attachment to peers, family, partners, just in general attachment Um, Mm. and being and so isolation is the biggest thing. And that's what I think. I would really like to provide in this podcast is, you know, kind of examples and modeling of connection, how to form connections, examples of, you know, healthy and unhealthy relationships. Um, Not like we're kind of coach really, you know, do relationship coaching or anything like that. But (laughs) like, I mean, that's what I do in my daily life for fun, not for fun, but for trauma processing. (laughs) But, um, But it's fun sometimes, you know. But um, I think um, to get back to what I was saying about the humanism, um, we are a shared species. And so we're trying to really, you know, we need to discriminate. But at the same time, we discriminate only so that we can recognize the larger whole. So we break down in order to build back up. We build back up in order to break down. But we still have to remember to keep the uh, gestalt, you know. Um, Yes. So I I think that. The humanism is this collective sense that the vast majority of people innately are pro-social. So I think we need to really discuss what is pro-social and what isn't and call out examples of what we're seeing collectively that is not pro-social, that is very anti-social. And I think there's an extreme amount going on right now. Um, The Internet was meant to be pro-social, but it's become a very anti-social space um, in some places. And so, and it's, it, it's the worst thing about the internet is that itself isn't just antisocial, but it's for, it's actually programming us to be antisocial in real life. 
you know, in our physical, tangible realities and other relationships, you know, we, we were not as outgoing. We're not as social. I mean, I'm sure you've seen, you know, you're writing about this, right? Like how, you know, men and women are collectively having a lot less like sex, uh, sexual relationships yeah, and, and young yeah. people are dating a lot less. People have fewer friends. There's high rates of loneliness. So I think that's one of the big niches that I think we really need to try and uh, work through and understand um, is how 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 these for- social forces are inhibiting our natural human drives and what would actually bring meaning not you know because like I am a I suppose a content creator or we both are right and like I'm very yeah. into content creation I love tweeting you know as I <laughs> or things like that but you know, where, where is the line? Where is the boundary between, you know, just mindlessly kind of reacting and liking and sharing and commenting and actually having, you know, real meaning come out of it? Because it seems so like... I have a theory. Sorry, can I just finish this? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, I feel like most people are... A lot of people are getting meaning out of their social interactions on there. But it's actually negative meaning because mm. our you know, uh, the brain kind of naturally recognizes and remembers, um, negative experiences more powerfully. Mm. Right. So everything is very jaded and sort of muted online. It's very disconnected and detached. So we tend not to feel the impact of the positive interactions we do have or the recognition or the likes. If we get like a thousand likes on something, but then one person says a negative comment, we are going to remember that more and so, unlike, I mean, it's similar in real life as well, if, you know, but if, but the difference is that if a thousand people came up to you on the street and said, like, I love you, or you're a great person, mm. or I really like what you did, and one person came up and said, I don't really like what you did at all, it, it's different. So I think, I think just putting it out there, we can go back to that in future episodes, just, mm. you know, how, how, how those reactions are muted but also heightened uh online so i was gonna say there's a you know i mean just just to pick up what you just said that the the massive difference there is you see how the 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 evolutionary drive again the the if 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 you were working with your species okay then you would see them in person and and even you and you and i uh connecting via video and and audio is already a better um do you see how that satisfies that little um evolutionary mind that says you must socialize you must uh, and and i like the way you 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 connected um reproduction of the species with creativity that the drive is actually similar and I like that because that is so important. That that's something that I'm doing. You know, I chose not to have children, but I'm very creative. And um, I, I had a if youngians listening. I had a dream when I was when I was much younger that I designed and got a tattoo. I don't have any tattoos, but I, I dreamt that I got a tattoo that had the word "create" um, emblazed across my back. Mm. And I actually woke up and I did the drawing, so I've still got that drawing for wow. my own purposes, but. But it, it defined me as a person from that day that whatever I'm doing, I must. So notice the subtle difference there. There's, when we say creative, 
we tend to think of people like you and me. We write and we draw and we paint and we, you know, we 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 create fashions uh, as well. You know, we we, we create <laughs> images, we create music, um, music, whatever it is. Okay, but I would go down to the basic level of just create. Like, if you're not creating, you're dying. Right? Yeah. I see it as a as a um, uh, there's a there's a there's a word almost like a current you know there's the there's a positive and the ne- negative flow of current and as soon as you slow down and I'm I'm not saying you have to be creative like we are like artists and, and and painters and musicians I'm not talking about that I'm talking about what are you creating in your life are you creating anything if you created children well you've got a massive jump on many of us because you've created two human beings you know <laughs> so there's there's so much that comes with that but I wanted to point out also that. When you went, when you were talking about the the social media realm, um, you know one of the reasons why it doesn't work um, in many cases. Obviously, it, 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 I find Twitter quite satisfying. I must admit. Um, well, the dopamine release is quite satisfying. <laughs> yes, and and I mean, I just as an example, yesterday I had I read two fascinating articles, journal articles, um, to do with research in psychology that I would never have found. If they weren't shared with me by two people that I respect, okay. So that's but that's the key. The, that's the key that you just said, though. Two people uh, that you respect, yeah. right? You caught like, me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you caught me. So, so look at the the and and I'm 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 trying to think of a model uh, or or um, uh, yeah a model in my head of how the, there's this convergence of there's a certain amount of choice with social media, but the problem is social media has weaponized our 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 choice, they've weaponized it to make profit. So what what I find um, frustrating is it's all good and well that they're they're obviously a business and they have to fund all the servers and all the networking and all the cabling and everything that they have to lay to to allow these um, platforms to work smoothly and have some kind of um, human in, interact in, interface. You know, um, I understand that. So I'm, I'm not saying. Uh, that they should just be free because that would mean then governments would have to provide them. I mean, we know how that's going to turn out, you know, so let's not even go down that road. But at the end of the day, what you realize when you go on Facebook and you see a hundred ads is that you don't have choice. Actually, you have to see those ads because if you, if you don't like one ad, they'll just give you a different ad. All right. So there's an element of choice that's removed. So I think somewhere along the line in, in, in the, in the, uh, let's say the tree of, of choice, um, pro-social activity. This is what I was trying to tie it back to choice, pro-social activity and lies. Mm. If you're moving, if you're in the wrong area on that little, um, triangle, you've got, you, if you think about social media nowadays, Facebook and Twitter, um, and I know the other ones are sometimes worse. They're actually peddling less choice and more lies because the illusion is the lies. It's an illusion, and it's it's supported by all these things that 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 primordial brain of ours just sucks up. That we see pictures of of people on Instagram, and we go, "Oh my God, they're just what? Are, what are we thinking?" Let's just think about that for a second. What are we actually thinking when we look at all these beautiful pictures on Instagram? We're thinking, "Oh my God, we would reproduce with those people." <laughs> That's actually what we're thinking. So, so what social media has done is they've tapped into our primordial brain and they're selling us a lie. And I know, I know the, the, the social um, uh, dilemma 
documentary spoke about this. So again, that's yes. nothing I'm saying is 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 new. As uh, is the curse of being human. <laughs> I know. It's, I find reproduction drives to be really obnoxious. I wish I could just shut it off. <laughs> but, frankly, but at, but at least you admit you have one. You know, because yeah. it, it'll if it doesn't find an outlet one way, it'll find an outlet another way. And yeah. social media has hijacked that and made us these um, uh, submissive uh, serfs of of <laughs> the of the algorithm, basically. All right, so everyone's heard this before. I'm sure a lot of people have heard this before. But what I'm getting at is the the key part in that, the key little little activator, is the lies. And um, I think what's so what's so nice and why I wanted to do this this podcast with you is that you're very forthright. And yeah. I've, I've found that in my life, I just can't even proceed with someone who has started lying in any way. If there's, if there's a, um, even if, you know, sometimes people don't realize they're lying, but, but that also indicates to me um, a level of incongruence with, with their objectives. So they're lying to themselves now as well. Yeah. And um, so, so this ties back a little bit to something I wanted to interject earlier that, you know, we said that most people, want the most they want purpose they want meaning they want the most for everyone okay unfortunately that's not always true and um mm -hmm. i know this this sort of sometimes stretches into the political arena but let me leave politics out of us at the end of the day i'm south african and i'm interested in american politics specifically but unfortunately you know the rest of the world watches american politics because you display it on your your networks all day long mm. um but what i will say is the the lies are are it's it, that's part of politics globally, all right. I think that's that's kind of it, it's built into the system. You have to lie to convince the most amount of people to vote for you, all right. That's mm. that's no one embodies everything that people want. So inevitably, someone's going to lie about something so that he gets more votes and he becomes elected, all right. Um, but but the only way we can combat all of this is if we stop lying to each other. And then the individuals can stop lying to themselves and slowly we can start being congruent. We can start having these kinds of honest conversations where people can look at us and say, this is, this is what someone at 48 can be going through. And this is what someone at 24 can be going through, you know, and at the same time, still be honest with each other right. and with ourselves. And that's why I said, like, it takes humility as well as curiosity, because I think you're not. You know, I do love the quote, like, you're not immune to propaganda. You know, no one is. Like, mm. I, I, you know, kind of, you know, shake my head in bemusement every day about the fact that I bought into the transgender propaganda, something that I just see as a joke now, you know, and I'm just no, like, no. I don't, I, I had surgery because I was so, like, irrational at that time um, buying into this. So, no one's immune to propaganda and propaganda is everywhere. But again, propaganda is one of those terms where it's not necessarily inherently evil, you know, like anything is propaganda. Like, you know, what we're talking about could even be construed as propaganda. Mm. Um, anything that's, you know, really saying anything could, could be propaganda. Um, but it's, that's why I feel that critical thinking, critical reasoning and less being, you know, having more of a handle on emotional reaction is really important. Um, and as well, seeing the larger, breaking it down and building it up, the gestalt. Because um, 
it's not that prop you can avoid propaganda. It's not that you can go on Facebook and, you know, avoid seeing those ads. Like if you want to utilize a, a society, you have to exist with this bullshit. You know, you have you drive. You want to use a road. You have to see a billboard. Um, sure, yeah. I mean, even at a gas station, I hate this. Like they play ads like on the pumps. I'm just like, dude, I just just want to get some gas. It's like three in the morning. And I'm stoned, um, but <laughs> that's cheering me out. I don't hear that. But, um, you know, I, but so I think the most important thing is recognizing who is saying this. Why are they saying this? What is their angle? Is this actually a fundamental truth? Does this align with my values? And there's something um, that we wrote for notes, and it's about finding healthy values. So it can be extremely hard to exist in a world where you don't see yourself or healthy values being mirrored around you. And as we spent more time online, we've seen how many people on the internet are lonely, maladjusted, and seeking a sense of purpose, belonging, and want to find their authentic values, but are struggling to do so. So this is why we need a, there's a void of community where we can have honest conversations about complex topics, which is why we need thriving spaces for the free thinkers and questioners. And, this is interesting because you and I are both involved in some circles that like are the free, the free thinkers and the questioners and the outliers. Yeah. And like, I'm fairly involved in the gender critical community, which gender critical at this point is like, it's, it's very broad. Um, you know, there's so many different types of people. Um, and you know, there's certain things that I really don't agree with at all. And, uh, certain things that I do, and I don't want to be labeled under that one thing because I don't want people to project every single assumption that they've ever made about this group, you know, onto me because um, it's individualistic. So that's why it's it's hard enough to even find a community where you can be honest and where you can actually trust somebody else, um, which again yeah. comes back to attachment theory as well. But it's then when you're in that community you people get sucked into then believing whatever that person says so like when a, a lot of like use the trans community for example i never was fond of the trans community when i was transgender for these reasons but there was a lot of people i know that got suckered into this you know feeling of safety and security and community and belonging that they felt they felt this is my group of people and therefore therefore anything that these people have to say I, it must be right. And I must believe every single thing that they say. And they're, you know, saying that this other thing is wrong or whatever, you know. So that can be a huge issue, which again leads to the lonerism. So like, you know, you can choose not to go on Facebook at all, but, and maybe if you can find community elsewhere, that's good. But it, you know, there, it's, it's difficult to bridge the gap between finding the right community and then even finding a place within that community and that's why I think a lot of people either they go to the extreme of either, well, like an attachment, you know, um, avoidant or anxious, right? Like if you're avoidant, yeah. you're going to um, just remove yourself entirely from that community and you say, I don't need any group. I can just do this myself. I don't trust anybody. They're lying to me. And you could see why someone <laughs> would have that experience, right? But then there's the person that might be anxious preoccupied and then they are like no I need a group I must belong right and you see their perspective and they ended up getting suckered into this kind of abuse dynamic of um 
you know, mm. social groups. And that's what, yeah. uh, as we both listened to the disaffected podcast at uh, disaffected talks a lot about how these are abuse dynamics, um, which relates to attachment theory relates to, uh, personality, uh, theory and, um, of these, uh, political groups, their abuse dynamics, um, within these communities that are supposed to be supportive. Um, so that's why it just comes back to, curiosity, earnestness, um, integrity, knowing yourself and your values so that you can call out, you have the, um, strength to, um, and confidence to call out when something is not, um, aligned with your values as well as finding what your values actually are. And I think that's, that's a huge, huge Mm. piece that's missing for youth today as I think, they don't actually know what healthy values are because traditionally, exactly. traditionally, all values were determined by religion, you know, whatever religion it was. And, you know, your parents taught you your values and they were taught to them and it was very, you know, strict. But and did they? Did they though? Well, Cause, they cause... imposed their own values of what they were taught, right? Yeah, but there's a generation that were taught all values of the same. And everyone gets a naughty badge, you know, everybody gets a prize. So well, that's a, what I'm saying is this generation, yeah. Generation Z, um, they're they're basically taught like, you know, all the tradition is completely wrong. This is outdated. Um, like I saw, I'm, I don't know if you saw that article that was on Twitter yesterday where it's like the 30 year old millennials are intimidated by the 20 year old Gen Z uh, <laughs> co-workers. And it went into this, it was just so funny because all the examples of like Gen Z people, you know, Gen Z has a sense of entitlement. Um, absolutely. And apparently, you know, millennials had a sense of entitlement as well. I mean, I think every generation has some entitlement, but especially Gen Z because they were taught that you know, they had these individual values and that they could do anything they wanted and be anything they wanted. And now everything is about, you know, protecting people's emotions and holding space and, and all of these things. So they think the problem is that it's a mirage. They think they have healthy values. They think, you know, I, when I was 19 and, you know, getting very into, you know, liberal feminism and, um, being trans and all these political things, I thought like, wow, I really know all the values. You know, I'm not racist. I'm not sexist. I Mm. support gay rights. Like, it just seems so Mm. straightforward. And anyone else who doesn't believe this is, it's just stupid. I don't, it's just, it's just, you know, an asshole and selfish. And, you know, (laughs) and it's just, I really thought I had the values figured out. And that's the real problem is when you think you have something figured out and then you don't have any flexibility in in changing your mind. Um, Which is like me I, I am a stubborn person. Um, I think it comes back to, you know, a sense of fear in a way. Like if I'm not right, you know, that kind of um, uh, cognitive dissonance that can happen or thinking that I failed yeah. in some way, I have a huge sense of shame uh, complex. But um, I think one thing that I do pride myself in is my openness. I, I am open to changing my mind because I do admit like, dude, I don't know. Um, I know certain things, but most things I don't know. And can someone please tell me what these are? (laughs) And that's why I talk to you because I'm like, you seem to, I like, I trust you that like, I know you cannot tell me what to do. You can't tell me what is right or wrong or like, you know, something like that, but you can give me examples 
and evidence and, you know, um, analysis of things that I can then make my own decision. And that's what therapy is supposed to be as well. Um, mm. And I think people have a lot of misconceptions about that because it's the clinician. Yes, exactly. Helping the client to be able to help themselves and then make, because they can't like, you know, your therapist can't just say like, okay, in five years from now, if this happens, this is exactly what you need to do. And this is a foolproof thing that will work every single time. It's like, no, what they're teaching is more like self-reliance and self-respect so that you can be able to question things effectively. And this goes Mm. back to what you just said, or not what you just said, what you said earlier about the regression aspect. Like, when do you regress? And is it really Mm. a a regression or a relapse? Or is it kind of a uh, disintegration um, that will actually lead to the the positive um, adjustment? A correction. Yeah, a correction. A correction. A correction. A pivot. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tie that back to some psychology. You know, the... The, the earliest um, theorists already, um, I'm trying to think of exactly who it was now. Um, I think it was Bowlby. Um, but anyway, the, the earliest theorists already put our life stages. Um, I know Adler had it as well. Um, Freud, I think, was less interested in the life stages than, um, than the people that came after him. But they, they put it. They, they even tied it down to the years that in these years children would behave. Originally, it was childhood development. It was the development stages. And then later on, they realized, um, obviously, when they expanded their research, they realized, oh, well, but, you know, there's the adolescence. There's um, the, the, and I forgot all the exact terms now, and I don't want to bore everyone with all this, the, the technology, tech, technical terms anyway, but basically, you evolve. Okay. So this might sound very obvious to us now, but it's funny, we, we can... We can see that something's obvious because it's in the the sort of public discourse, but we don't actually absorb what that means. So when you turn 30, you actually change. You really, really, really do change, guys. <laughs> um, you know, one of the most amazing things that happened to me was a random client. This is one of the nice things about running the A random client said to me the one day, um, she said to me, oh, you, you're entering the best years of your life because I was turning 40. And I said to her, okay, I've heard that before, but please tell me exactly what you mean by that. She said, because she was 46. She said, because in your 20s, you're so concerned with what everyone thinks. All right. And in your 30s, you stop caring. You start living a little bit for yourself. But when you turn 40, you really don't give a shit anymore. You start doing exactly what you want and how you want it. And this is why we have this this, um, construct that, that we talk about often, the midlife crisis. And that's why I use the word correction just now, because in actual fact, um, the, the, the pro-social uh, positive psychology uh, uh, term for it is the midlife correction. Mm-hmm. But I would say that the, the regression that you were talking about earlier and the cocooning that you were talking about earlier is a correction. But it only happens to those of us that are listening to that, to that, that um, the dipole of, of two voices in your head. The, um, the cognitive dissonance, which you should actually embrace. Like, that's the point, guys. Yeah, that's it's the sig- point. It's signaling you. It's signaling a problem. Yes. yes. So so we tend to talk about cognitive dissonance as if it's this, this evil thing that we should avoid. And to a certain extent, obviously, that's true. You must make a decision. Yes, that's important that you make a decision. But, like, I would argue if you haven't set boundaries, uh, you're not going to be able to make a decision. So if you haven't set boundaries – 
you're going to make the wrong decision and you're going to end up being as some of the people that I met when I, I used to be in advertising when I was younger, these, um, you know, 50, 60 year old people that have been in advertising their whole lives and they're miserable, miserable. Imagine they realizing weren't listening 50, to their cognitive dissonance. They didn't listen. Yes. And, 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 and how do we do that? We start drinking, we take drugs, we, mm. we play computer games, we, all these things that on the, I, I just want to make clear that I've done all of them and I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy to do them when it's required because that's exactly what I'm saying is that you have to correct. And when you need to correct, you have to withdraw a little bit. You have to shut down the senses, um, especially for people like us that are these. Uh, I, I was going to, when you, I wrote this down while you were talking, that there's, a, there's an amount of chaos, I think, that you and I embrace. And we say, you know, you said it earlier before we started recording as well, that it's, it's in that chaos that, that we can sort of sit down with it and go, okay, what's happening here? And then we start sorting it out. And from that chaos, you actually create the image. There is an image there. So we don't reject the chaos, you see. And mm. I think what the consumerist culture, I'm actually refining something I was trying to say earlier. The consumerist culture absolves us of that. It says, here's a pretty picture. Here's the pretty music. Here's the pretty show. Here's the pretty person. Uh, here's the filter to make yourself pretty. You know, so it removes the chaos from us. And instinctively, you and I are like, no, 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 don't do that. Uh, and I want to point out something. You said when you were, you're at the petrol pump and they're playing ads to you, yeah. you all you want to do is fill up your tank. Um, I heard the other day about a, an area in France where they literally only allow adverts that have been approved by the city council and they only allow them for three months of the year. All right. So I don't have the exact details, guys. Don't shoot me if, if, if I'm getting some of the numbers wrong. But in principle, I believe it's somewhere near Lyon. It's either Lyon or near Lyon that has these rules. They have no advertising. The only place they allow advertising throughout the year is on bus stops. And that's because of some deal that was done before this, this new law was created, hmm. which they're still honoring because the company – survives on this on this revenue all right so fine so they've got ads on the bus stops but imagine they've got no billboards they've got no flashing neon signs um, and all the, the the paraphernalia that comes with excessive advertising and look if you live in certain areas of america you probably have no clue that there are very strict advertising rules in many places in the world all right that's, that's not unanimously accepted that you have a right to infringe on people's spaces Mm. And, and eyesight to the extent that that is allowed in most um, uh, Western capitalist uh, economies, right? Please, when I say capitalist, by no means am I talking about the opposite socialism, all right? I'm, not, I'm never talking about socialism. I, I, I live in a country that's partially socialist and it's falling apart. So please don't even go at me about that. But I'm describing the, the, you know, the construct as it exists in the West, um, the problem is when capitalism is 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 runaway, then you have ads. Uh, you know, you have pamphlets in your post box. You have ads on your street. You have ads. Uh, just, I mean, every. You know, where are they going to think about putting ads next? Is the question. It's it's, it's not what they will, what they're doing already. It's where next? Because even in our suburb, they're just everywhere. You know, and even though there are bylaws, no one listens to them anyway. The reason I'm bringing that up as a, as a point is to set you into this, this, this picture of uh, Laura standing at the pump station 
stoned on her on her weed. Um, with, I didn't say it was with, weed. <laughs> with, with her with her psychedelic outfit and her psychedelic car. Yeah. And she looks around at herself and she's so Laura has her own chaos, which she has oh, created. Yeah. And from that chaos, she has made order. She has mm-hmm. found a way to create order at out of her own chaos. But that's her chaos. She owns that chaos. I do. Or if you don't mind me talking about you like this. And then that's she very looks around. <laughs> then she looks around herself and she sees that society is chaos as well. There's adverts on the pump station. There's probably a flyer stuck to the bottom of her shoe. Someone probably stuck a flyer in the wind, windscreen when she was stopped at the at the dealer's joint. And on the, across the road, there's a billboard. There's magazines in the shop window. The, 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 the radio's playing adverts. I mean, is, is radio anything but adverts anymore? I don't even know. I've stopped listening mm. years ago. But oh, I yeah, heard I something and it was just, radio, yeah. It was just promotional activity constantly between songs, between shitty 30, 40-year-old songs. You know, it just blew my mind. Why do people even bother <laughs> with that anymore? But I'm – so what I'm what – I'm, what I'm emulating here for you and, and demonstrating is in this conversation, you've got Laura who has her own chaos and she's created some order out of this chaos. And if, 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 if people listening don't know what I mean, you can go to her website and, and, and see what I mean. And then you've got Angelo, who's 48 years old, who has done something quite similar. I create art for myself. Um, I created a business, which was very much a creative uh, space. But the point I'm getting at is that when we try to find our, our, our path, we're distracted by all these other mm. uh, aspects in our environment. So what I want to say is when you go on social media, you are subjecting yourself. You're opening yourself up to the chaos of the world. And what I would say is I reject the right, even though I accept capitalism as a, as a, as a, as a successful um, economic system, I reject the right of everybody to infringe on my space to that extent. I don't accept that. I have the right to have a certain amount of, um, or the, let's say, let me rephrase that actually, not a certain amount. I have the right to have my level of information coming in, of chaos that that I can mediate. Okay, and obviously, obviously, you can mediate it. You could just switch off the TV. You can, you can. Well, you can't really avoid billboard ads because they're up in your face. But to, let's not pretend that someone who's either, um, you know, overly uh, energized or uh, overly sensitive or, um, you know, maybe is, is neurotic. Um, that person driving down the road with ads coming on on the radio, with billboards, um, with newspaper headlines. In South Africa, they, they do this a lot. There's newspaper headlines stuck to the lampposts. So you've got newspaper headlines, you've got billboards. You've got, now, now some of those billboards are live. They're, they're, they're TV screens. Yeah. So they're flashing images at you while you're driving. Um, you know, the person that's, that's in that state is being uh, – and I, I don't like using this language casually, but they're actually being assaulted by this, by this overflow of, of information. So anyway, I just wanted to point that out because – there's a, there's, there's what we're doing, what you and I are doing is we're, we're trying to create something creative, uh, uh, something useful out of the chaos. Yeah. So it's very important that we sort of, I think we, we sort of discern that from what a lot of other, um, media is about. If that 
sums up my point. All right. Well, I think we have covered so many important things, um, introducing um, humanism and, you know, why we're doing this, our values. Um, and this is kind of what it's going to be about. This is um, more broad than than I think most of the episodes will be. We're going to hone in on uh, specific contemporary issues um, in politics and sociology and psychology. And we also would like to know what you guys want to hear. Um, I think there's many approaches to take, but we're just, we want to explore these concepts. So let us yeah. know what you um, would like us to hear. There's any specific issue, an article, um, a link, or, or some kind of hot topic right now. We are very interested in exploring these through the lens of these sort of humanist uh, concepts that we've been introducing here. And actually, next uh, the next episode that we're going to do is about um, the Dave Chappelle controversy with his latest special, um, as well as we're going to get into some of the transgender issues and uh, free speech and comedy and critical thinking. And there's so much to get into with that. We're really excited to um, dive into such a contemporary issue that's happening right now in real time. Um, but for now, that is uh, Trans Psyche, episode one. Please follow us on uh, social media at Trans Psyche and Trans Psyche as well on YouTube. Click that subscribe button. Please like it and share. We really want to spread these ideas to anyone who can use them. So please share this with your friends. Send this to a family member. Hell, send this send this to a random person on the internet who is maladjusted. We need, you know, to kind of bring people in and gently kind of corral them into a space where they can have these discussions. Um, if, for, if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at ratfunk. I'm um, a funky rat. That's why. Ratfunk on Twitter as well as uh, for my art Instagram, uh, Funk God Artist, and my website, which has all of my writings and art and other materials, um, funkgod.com. And Vincent? Um, yeah, so mine's uh, Vincent Psych SA on Twitter and the Psychology Kitchen on the WordPress.com uh, page. All right. Well, we hope you guys have enjoyed this. Um, we're just getting started. We're just getting cooking, the psych kitchen, the funk god. We are combining forces here. The funky psychology. Yeah. So join us on the next episode of Trans Psyche, where we will be journeying across the mind. Thank you for listening to Trans Psyche. If you want to add your thoughts on these topics, let's discuss them in the public forum on Twitter at Trans Psyche Pod. That's T-R-A-N-S. P-S-Y-C-H-E-P-O-D. We need your help bringing these issues to a larger audience. You can contribute to the discussion by clicking the like button on your favorite audio platform, YouTube, and subscribing to the show so you can keep up with the conversation. You can connect with both Laura and Vincent on Twitter or email the show at transpsychepodcast at gmail.com. We appreciate hearing from you. We're also on Patreon. Become a supporter at transpsychepodcast at patreon.com. If you know someone who might benefit from these ideas, please share the show with your friends and family on social media. Please remember this podcast is for discussion purposes only and is not intended as mental health advice or counseling.